0: discuss a little bit about the uh, Seder Haggadah so let's start with the Seder the, uh, the word Seder means order uh, several years ago I was uh, I think it was in the Jewish center that Has a lecturer came in I want I'll mention his name Try to convince everybody that they uh, they think the word Seder means order but actually they don't understand that the word Seder does not mean order it means uh, recite, to oh, recite. Wow. The Sader means not to order, but to recite. The Sader, he argued, means the reciter of the prayer. It does that mean order? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. It's 100%. Yes, yeah, so it's uh, there's no basis to that at any level. Actually, it's a mistake, not only in terms of the Seder means an order. Certainly, in conjunction with the Seder, it means a set of ordered events and I suspect that also means an order it means the arranger of the prayers especially given the fact that in those days there was no prayer book so the one who would lead the service would in effect be arranging the service and in fact when it comes to the prayers the uh, Gemara speaks of the that they the men of the great assembly uh, wrote the prayers I'll, I'll have Seder to be recited in, 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 uh, in, in order. So you can move up closer if you want. You don't have to stay so far back. A lot of noise. Okay, so anyway, the word Seder does mean order. And in fact, it's the idea the of... Room. What? Oh, because of the noise out there, you mean? Yes, is, it, yes. is it bothering everybody? Go next door. The microphone works we good. Okay. It's not working? Yes, it is. It is. It is it's working. working maybe. Is yes. that better? Yes. Much better. All Much right. Better. Fine. Okay. Just make it closer to you. You don't Okay. Un- unnatural. You'd be good. Right. Ignore it and just talk in All it. right. So let's get back to the idea of a Seder. Um, first of all, it's interesting. Let me mention a couple of things. First of all, everybody knows that in most of the Haggadot, in fact, in this way, I think it's on page one, um, there's a little... Uh, table of contents that is found in the beginning of the Haggadah. It opens from two sides. You, have to, from the, but you see on the, on the right side, page number one, you have the uh, order of the table of contents. It's interesting that this table of contents Many of the things that I'm speaking about are actually found in this, in this particular Haggadah. But in any event, the table of contents has a... If you count up the number of things in the table of contents, you'll see there are 15. Actually, depending on whether motsi-matza is one or two. If motsi and matza are one, then it's 14. If motsi is one and matza is separate, then it's 15. And logically, motsi-matza should be two. Because in the order of the evening, there are two separate, uh, two separate uh, mitzvot, one might say, uh, from which the matzah are, 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 are being uh, consumed. One is that Pesach is, is simply a festival like every other holiday. And our practice is that on the holidays, not just Shabbat, but on the festivals, we are eating Lechem, uh, lechem Mishnah. So we have Rechem Mishnah, so for that we need two, two breads. So the matzah, the two matzot are there for Rechem Mishnah. And there's another mitzvah on the night of Passover specifically to uh, eat matzah. So we, that's why we have, according to the Tosafists, that's why we have three three matzot at the Seder. Two of the matzot are for Rechem Mishnah. But the matzah that we eat for matzah, since the Gemara speaks of a matzah being Rechem Oni, of affliction which they interpret red of poverty a poor person sometimes doesn't have a, uh, a, 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 a a whole matzah only has a broken matzah so the matzah that we eat for the mitzvah of matzah is a broken matzah so tosvah says one second but a broken matzah doesn't work for Lecha mishnah. so that's why it says Tzatzvah we have three matzahs at the same two for Lecha mishnah and one for the mitzvah of matzah so in that sense motzi and matzah are two separate things motzi refers to the mitzvah, every, every holiday we have a, a festive meal and we have Lechem Mishnah. We don't have Lechem on Pesach, we have Matzah, Matzah Mishnah. But, but in addition to that, we need there's another mitzvah, Matzot, which is specific to Pesach. So moti and Matzah are two separate things, so it ends up that we have 15 and not 14. If, if you ask the question, who cares that the table of contents has 15 or 14 items, actually it is significant in this particular case because yes because actually the number fifteen figures in the seder and that is the it's, it's the, the dayenu that we say which is probably a later edition it's not one of the cortex of, this, of the Haggadah but dayenu if you count out the number of items in dayenu you will see that there are fifteen and Goldschmidt makes the comment Daniel Goldschmidt makes the comment did a lot of work, the important academic, did a lot of work on that. God, other things as well, on the, on the sitter in general, did a lot of work, the master So he points out that the introduction to dayenu is Kama ma'alot tovot lamakom aleinu. how many good things ma'alot, how many good things has God done for us? So, the are 15, and we know from the Gemara and Masechet Sukkah, that in the temple there were 15 steps, 15 ma'alot. And it says on, Sukkot, on each one of the malot, they would recite one of, the, one of one from the set of psalms that we know as the fifteen of them, Ha malot. One we say before benching, but shirah malot. But there are fifteen of them, and they are called Shire malot. So the Gemara says Shire malot each was recited on one of the steps. So dayenu actually has also fifteen items. Well, what Goldschmidt argues very interesting Goldschmidt argues that this Dayenu song was actually composed for the temple he thinks was actually recited in the temple and the reason he says that is actually very significant in terms of the Haggadah because Dayenu was the only thing we have in the Haggadah which begins with the Exodus but it goes all the way through the desert into the land and the last line of Dayenu if God had brought us into the land and not built for us the temple, Beit Dayenu. So Dayenu celebrates not just the exodus from Egypt, it celebrates the journey through the desert, entering the land, and it concludes with the uh, temple. So Goldschmidt says, since we have a song that starts with the exodus and concludes with the temple, has 15 stanzas, 15, st- 15 uh, items, and it's Kabamalot, Tavodla, logically he argues it's very old. It's written in very simple Hebrew. He thinks it was probably recited inside the temple. So Tabori, one of the other major uh, researchers on the Haggadah, uh, he disagrees with that. He says there's no evidence it was actually recited in the temple. Okay, but that it's composed for the temple in a sense or or relates to the temple. That makes total sense. So the number 15 then is in Indayenu. And the significance of it is this why is it important in some sense Well, why is it meaningful, who cares but the point is that it's meaningful in the sense that the idea of Dayenu which is again not a central text of the Haggadah but it's in the Haggadah probably the most well known piece of the Haggadah in the American, large American Jewish community it is a celebration it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a little poem which expresses gratitude for, for every step of the way it does not mean, I think, that had we stopped at that point, Dayenu, in other words, I don't think it means have we come to the sea, gotten their money, and drowned in the, in the sea of reeds, Dayenu. Yeah. I mean, that to me makes zero sense, although someone's once showed me this handwritten manuscript, pages and pages, of somebody who tried to justify every step along the way, even how we not come to the end point. To me, that's actually nuts, but the point is, it means something different, it means given the fact that we did make it to the end I think that's the point, given the fact that we did make it to the end then we have the responsibility to be grateful for every step along the way so it, it means that the night Dayenu is an expression of gratitude, it's a song they put into the Haggadah, whoever they is and it says something about the, about the Haggadah in general that one of the basic themes of of the Haggadah is uh, gratitude, and actually I started by mentioning that the Tosafists asked the question, why do we require three matzot at the Seder? And they give their answer, which is well known, that the three matzot, two of them are for the mitzvah of the Lechem Mishnah, and the third matzah is for the, eating the broken matzah, which is the mitzvah to eat matzah. we have the tradition of eating a broken matzah. We break that matzah in half, yachas, we break it in half. It's interesting, though, that there's a different answer that appears much earlier in the Gaonic literature, and they have a different answer. By the way, the Rambam, you, sh- you should know, in general, the Rambam held that even though normally you need two full two full breads for Lecha Mishnah, at the Seder you don't. One bread and one broken one is sufficient because the broken one is the mitzvah of the of the, of the night, and therefore it suffices for Lecha Mishnah as well. But in any event, Tosval disagreed with that, but in the Gaonic literature, there appears a very interesting, I don't remember which Gaon says it, but it's found in the period of the Gaonim, and uh, says something, an interesting reason uh, they give as to why we have three Matzes at the Seder. And the, 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 the reasoning goes this way. The Torah speaks of a, in the beginning of the book of Vayikra, in fact the first eight chapters of Vayikra, so uh, just read it, talks about the various sacrifices, it's curious that in that list of sacrifices, all, all the sacrifices, Pesach is never mentioned, it doesn't mention Pesach, but the Gemara actually in Masechet Pesachim deals at some length with the relationship of the Pesach Karban, Karban Pesach, to the other sacrifices, Gemara essentially puts forward the idea in many different ways. That the carbon pesach falls under the general category of a carbon shlamim, a peace offering, and the carbon shlamim is the sacrifice that was eaten by the people that that, uh, that bring the sacrifice. So the gemara identifies the pesach with the shlamim, and that's actually very interesting. Don't want to get into that now. That points to the kind of communal nature of the paschal sacrifice, the idea of eating together, which is very central to the to the seder, obviously. But there's, I think, another possibility to to connect Pesach to a subcategory of carbon shlamim because within the list of the carbonot there's a shlamim, then there's a subcategory of shlamim called the carbon tovda, the Thanksgiving offering, and the carbon tovda differs from the regular carbon shlamim in two ways. First of all, the time period of eating it is much shorter. The time period of eating the carbon shlamim is two days and one night. It's in, it's in the Torah in VaYikra, but a carbon todah is only eaten for one day and one night. It has a constricted time period. But the most important distinction between them is that, unlike the carbon shlamim, the carbon todah was brought with forty breads. Thirty of those breads are actually matzah. Ten of them are chametz. And then the Torah said, in addition, if you saw in the le- parsha of the last two weeks, it talks about this halacha that the Kohen, the priest, receives a gift, a tenth of all of these uh, breads. So the priest would receive 40, four, four of the 40 breads called Trumalachmetodah. It's given to the priest. So the Gonim say, so, but of the 40 breads, 30 are matzah and 10 of them are chomets. So the priest would receive three matzot, actually. As part of the Thanksgiving offering, you give three matzot to the priest, which is a way, I suppose, in a way, dedicating it to God. You're supporting the priest, but you're saying, these are not mine. I set them aside as a dedication for my Thanksgiving offering. So the Goanim say, that's our custom to have three matzot on Passover night in remembrance of the gifts that we gave from the matzah to the priest on the occasion. Of a, of a thanksgiving offering and the point of it, the reason I mention this is only because this idea of gratitude as being a very central feature of the Seder is reflected in that point of view but it gets to something very basic about the Seder and actually in a more significant way the Seder reflects this idea that gratitude is a very central part of the story in the following way. The Seder is about an order. It's an ordered ritual. And because it's an ordered ritual, we, we pay a lot of attention to the order, especially when things appear to be very strange. One of the strange features of the Seder, of the order, is that we are we, we're beginning to tell the story in the first part of the Seder. It's called Magyida. We tell the story. <coughs> get to that in a minute. But at the, end, at the end of the section we call Magid at the end of the section it does not actually end with, with telling the story you would have expected it to end with the story of the exodus from Egypt but it actually ends surprisingly with the beginning of the recitation of the Hawel prayer Hawel consists of six chapters they're recited on the festivals in the daytime but it, on Passover they're recited at night at the, at the Seder some people have the custom to recite it even, even in the synagogue at night the old, old custom but, but there's a custom everybody at the Seder is saying hallo if you have a traditional Seder you say the six paragraphs of hallo at the Seder Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 inclusive but we do it in a very peculiar way the first two psalms are recited before the meal and the last four psalms are recited after the meal second psalm actually is the idea of saying halal, starting halal before the meal is actually found in the Mishnah and there's a dispute between Beit Shammai and Beit Hirel they both agree you start Harel, they disagree how much you say Beit Hirel said you always say the first psalm Psalm 113 that, that's, that's Beit Shammai. Beit Shammai said you always say Psalm 113 and Beit Hirel says you say 113 and 114 what is Psalm 114 very familiar psalm to all of us What's the last thing we say in Maggid? Um, I mean, right, Shisharami Mitzrayim Mitzrayim is the last text that we say in Maggid after which we, we, we make a blessing. I'll get to that about the blessings in a second. It's very odd for two reasons. First of all, the main reason being that Hallel is what you say after the meal. Essentially what you say after the meal is Hallel. Secondly, if you're going to say hello before the meal, say all six. What are you breaking it in half for? It's a recitation. Normally recitations, we don't break, we don't break it to pieces. The Talmud discusses it at some length. What if I'm saying the Shema and somebody says hello to me in the middle of the Shema? Am I permitted to answer, to respond? Depends on the situation, who it is, when it is. Because basically when you're reading a text, yeah, there's a mitzvah to read a text, you read the whole text. You don't stop in the middle. And yet on the night of Passover at the Seder, we do a very peculiar thing. We are reading the first two paragraphs of Halo, then we're making a blessing, and then we eat the whole meal. And after the meal, we continue with the halo after the meal. It's, it's very, very strange. So, because it's so strange, it has to have an explanation, it has to have a reason. Why is Yisrael Israeli Mitzrayim included as part of Magid? Why didn't we reserve it till after the meal says we have to start it we have to start it we have to start it before before the meal so there are two different reasons for this I think or two different not reasons for it but two different ways to understand it and um, let me say this the simple thing point I want to make is that we see that the hollow is a prayer of, of, of Thanksgiving we see the Thanksgiving is actually part of telling the story we're not going to end the story without saying thank you so therefore we are telling the story of the Exodus and before we break for the meal and to say how but well? we, well, we have to begin at least to say we can't start without thanking God for taking us out of Egypt and according to Beit Tele'el it's our, our practice we end with B'Tseid Yisra'ami Mitzrayim. Now B'Tseid Yisra'ami Mitzrayim has two has an additional connection I think to what we call Magid. Something about that particular psalm, two features of the psalm that are very interesting and they are related to the the way we tell the story. The first point is that, and this is actually a very important point about the Seder, the core text of the Haggad, it's always important when you have anything to understand what is essential and what is secondary. Someone, if you open up a haggadah, someone who never came to a Seder before you, you they're reading all these things, it's all all very interesting, very strange. But you would have no clue whatsoever what is essential and what is secondary. Is inviting the guests in Holach Ma'an, is that a really important part of this? is that a central part of the Seder? Is Mahdistana a central part of the Seder? Is Dayena a central part of the Seder? Is the list of all the various plagues at the sea a central part of the Seder? What is central? and what is peripheral. That's very important. So, the uh, core text of the Seder, let's say, we could disagree about the extent of the list, but let's say that without question, because the Mishnah actually, believe it or not, gives, you, gives us instructions. The Mishnah, and this is ancient, the Mishnah already is instructing us some of the things we have to do, including what in the Mishnah is the core text of the whole Seder altogether, which is a Yovei The core text of the Seder, says the Mishnah, you recite the passage in Tvarim, chapter 26, the pilgrim's prayer, who brings the first fruits to the temple, Aramio Oved The Mishnah says, Vidoresh Kola Parashakula. You start with Aramio Oved You read what the person, the pilgrim, who brings the first fruits to the temple says. And then the Mishnah says, you are obliged to engage in Midrash. You do a Midrash on these verses. It's the only place that we have in our tradition and it's an obligation to do Midrash. The Haggadah provides various out for us. But the Haggadah actually does not follow the dictates of the Mishnah. It's very interesting. We don't do what the Mishnah says to do. Because the Mishnah says, you read the entire passage of the wandering Aramean. But we don't do that. We actually read only four verses. The core text of the Seder is four verses. We, we, we don't read the entire, the entire text. We stop, actually... The fourth verse is, God, you took us out of Egypt with an outstretched arm, with a powerful whatever, wonders, miracles, signs. That's the last verse. The next verse is, you brought us into the land. That we don't say. We don't mention the land. Even though in the Torah that is the key point, the pilgrim brings the fruits from the land. But at the Seder, we choose this text, but we stop after four verses. The same thing is true about another interesting text. I would call it a core text and that is in the Haggadah we mention the promise God made to Abraham about the land. Brit Ben Habitarim that's a core text. That God, is, God is fulfilling God's promise to Abraham to give to the covenant of the pieces. The Brit Ben Habitarim is fulfilled the Haggadah claims through the experience of the exodus from Egypt. That's a very important point about maybe the most important point at the, at the Seder. It's a fulfillment of a prior promise. But the brief in avatarim has two parts. If you open up the Torah, the chapter 15, you'll see for yourselves that first it talks about your descendants will be strangers and they'll be slaves and they'll suffer for 400 years. And those that enslave them I will punish. And the, the victims, the slaves, will go out with a lot of wealth. And the next verse says, You, Abraham, will die in ripe old age. And the fourth generation shall return to the land. da That's the promise to Abraham. What do we say in the Haggadah? It's very strange. the Haggadah, we recite, this, we, we, we recite this, this text. In the Haggadah. You can see for yourselves. It's right in the Haggadah. Let's find it. Let's find it. Where is this? The first side, from the right side. Let's see what it says. See on page. Yes, on page uh, sixteen, I think. Right, it's page sixteen. Page sixteen. Page sixteen. The top of the page on the right side goes over to page seventeen. Blessed is the God who kept God's promise to Israel. What what promise? That's the promise of the covenant. It's the central piece of the Seder. It's the most important. There's one thing you would take from the Seder, this is it. Because that's the core question of Pesach, that the Seder. Who cares, basically? Why should I care what happened so many years ago? Okay, he went out of Egypt 3,000 years ago. So I should turn my life upside down because 3,000 years he walked out of Egypt? Who cares? So the answer, God supplies two answers. But one of them is, the core one, it's not about the historical event of leaving Egypt. It's that the event of leaving Egypt in the Torah quenches the covenant with God. This covenant is the covenant in which we are live. We, we live in this relationship. That's our relationship. That is enduring significance. That's what our God is claiming. There's a covenant. In, and the covenant is fulfilled through the experience of leaving Egypt. So we cite the B'Ibn Abbottarim. And we end it with the verse, They will suffer for many years. They'll be, those that enslaved them, I will punish. They would leave with a lot of possessions. That is hardly the promise God made to Abraham. They're going to be beaten up, abused, tortured, who knows what else. That's okay. After 400 years, they're going to leave with a lot of good back. Of what? I mean, this is, this is not the... That's a step along the way. But at the say that we stop. We don't read the entire text. I'll give you a third example of this. Third example. Another very important text. Avodim ha'yinu lefaro b'mitzrayim. That was That's how we start the answer to the Manishtana. We were slaves and God took us out with an outstretched arm, etc. When you look at the Chumash, you'll see that Avadim Hayinu G'Farabah Mitzrayim is the beginning of an answer to a question. It is not the answer. It's the beginning of the answer. What is the question? What is Avadim Hayinu G'Farabah Mitzrayim answering in the Chumash? In the Haggadah, it answers Manishtana. But what does it answer in the Torah? A verse that also appears in the Haggadah. Anybody know? Someday your child's going to ask you a question, it says. What's the question the child's going to ask you to which the answer begins with Avadi hayinu." Anybody know what it is? The Haggadah is a deceptively simple little book, but when you begin to look at it, you need to scratch your head. Well, what is actually going on here? The question in the Chumash to which the answer is, that's not really at the beginning of the answer, is the following. One day your child will ask you, Ma'edot v'yachukim v'yamishpatim, ashe, asher Hashem etchem. What are these statues and rules and ordinances which our God commanded you? Someday your child's going to ask you that question. And you're going to answer, you will answer in that time the following. We were slaves unto Pharaoh in Egypt, and God took us out of Egypt. And God brought us to the land. And God wants us to fulfill all of these ordinances in order to sustain, to, to sustain us inside the land. The question is not about... Avadim Ayina was the backdrop to the answer. The answer is maybe my what is the significance of perhaps? You have to understand. What, but the answer is clearly referring to someone in the land who's saying, why are we doing all these things? Edom, the, the Chukim, the Mishvatim. <coughs> you begin with a history but the answer has to do with being in the land. And in fact, even a more important point about the question, which the Haggadah ascribes to whom, by the way? Who asked that question? The Chacham. The wise child asked that question. In the bright of the it's the bright of the four children. So the Haggadah has its own version. That this four children business appears in two other places. The Haggadah, whoever wrote the Haggadah, no one no, no one has a clue. It's very old has a slightly different take on, the, on these four children but let me make a very simple point about the question what are the edot, the chukim and the mishpatim that God has commanded us or taught you has nothing and I mean nothing to do with the holiday we call Pesach it's not asking the question about Pesach it's saying, don't do a Pesach actually it's asking a different question it's not Pesach it's uh, Thanksgiving I don't know it's, it's the middle of the winter it can be any time Let says we ask you a question mom, dad what are we doing with this stuff? what's the significance of it? has zero to do with Passover it's true the answer begins with the Tzietan Trium but the answer moves into the land we're living in the land now we're still doing these things Some this basis we possess the land or whatever the Haggadah takes that verse and it interprets it as it were in conjunction with, with Passover maybe if we have time we'll talk about that but the verse is not about Passover at all in fact of the four verses that the Haggadah cites, the four children, only one of them sounds like it's actually about Passover, that actually relates to the holiday of Passover. If we have time, I'll get to this. I'll take questions at the end, if you have any questions. But on Pesach, we have a lot of questions, the Haggadah's questions. In any event, the verse of Avodim HaYinu is the beginning of of a section. We don't say the whole section. We always say the beginning of it. We leave out the main point. So when the three of these core texts, which is Arami Yoved which is the covenant with Abraham, which is Avadim Hayinu, they're all the same. You, we have a text from the Torah, we chop out the end of it, and we only recite, recite the beginning of it. Now why is that actually? So I have a thought about why it's there. It's not now go to some place, I don't know. So, it's like this, I think. I would make the following observation about this, about the about the about the seder, the seder says, "How God says that on the night of Passover, we have to see ourselves as leaving Egypt, whatever that means." We'll talk about that as well. The mitzvah. Everybody should see herself, himself, as if I personally left the land of Egypt. That's the mitzvah. If we take it quite literally, so there's a problem with that, actually. I'll tell you the problem. It's a problem with the study of history in general. Studying history is like going to the movie that, a movie that you already saw. So you, you sort of know the ending. So you can never really see the movie. When you see something the first time, you don't know what's going to happen. So then there's a certain tension, a certain anxiety. You're seeing it a certain way. But when you see a movie a second time, you know actually what's going to no happen. You try to erase it, but you know what's happening. So. You can never actually read it the same way. You can't put yourself in the position of the actor because you know the end. Just imagine you imagine you're in. That's the problem with 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 trying to see ourselves as being in Egypt. We know the story, but the Hagada makes an attempt to to help us put ourselves there. And that is, it never goes beyond leaving Egypt. It stops at that point. The cortex all stop at that point, so we can imagine ourselves as walking out of Egypt to parts unknown. We have absolutely no idea how we're going to get where we're supposed to go. It's not even clear we even know fully where we're supposed to go. But, uh, so part of it has to do, I think, with this idea of trying to put ourselves in this place. The fact of the matter is, that's what the Haggadah does. I was thinking, P'teit Yisraeli Mitzrayim. P'teit Yisraeli Mitzrayim. Beit Yaakov The first, it's the second paragraph of the Havel. When God took us out of Egypt, When Israel left Egypt foreign speaking what's the next verse At that point in time says the psalm at that moment when we left Egypt we became God's holy ones we became God's dominion at that point in time claims the psalmist, the poet that's the moment that God became our king that's the moment we became God's holy ones interesting that actually when you open up the Chumash you don't get that sense that we became God's holy ones at the time we left Egypt we beca- God became the king because the idea of holiness and kingship is never explicitly mentioned when we leave Egypt but is mentioned a few chapters later it's mentioned not in chapter 13 but it's mentioned in chapter 15 Chapter 15 is a very important chapter, of course. It's the Song of the Sea, Shiratayam. Shiratayam concludes with the following verses. Bring them across to your holy place, your holy habitation, the place that your hands have established. The temple, the Mikdash, right? That your hands have established. And the next verse, their God will reign forever. God will be the eternal King. Reference to to, to the, the people being God's chosen holy ones, visiting God's holy space, implanted in God's holy space, and that God is reigning forever is, is found much later. It's a it's a it's a it's a prophetic statement, a song about. The possibility of what happens when you cross to the other side. It's hardly there at the moment that we leave the land of Egypt. What is there mostly is not singing, but mostly complaining. But what the psalmist has done is to transpose everything into the moment that we actually leave. That's the poetic device, that's the poetic conceit. That when we left Egypt, we became God's holy ones, and God became our king. So that that the idea of moving everything back into the moment of departing Mitzrayim is very much in consonance with the main idea of Maggid, to focus in on that particular moment. And not only is Betay PYisrami Mitzrayim relevant to the content of Maggid, it's also relevant to the form of Magid. (coughs) There's something very interesting about Maggid. the way we tell the story we tell the story by asking questions, questions and answers so we have the following interesting feature of Magi, first of all it begins, Magi begins with Manishtana which are, the Mishnah already asked, Manishtana are a set of questions, we happen to have four questions it wasn't always four questions sometimes it was three questions, one time it was five questions we have four questions and we have an answer. So there's a response to the Manishtana. <coughs> then when you keep reading in the Haggadah, we have the, called the brighter of the four children, Keneged arba b'adim dibra Torah, says the Haggadah. The Torah spoke, as it were, of four children. The Torah never, never actually speaks about four children, but the Torah speaks about different kinds of questions children might ask. And the Haggadah assigns a particular kind of person to each of the questions. So it has these children asking questions, and we are responding to the questions of the different kinds of children. So once again, we have this form of question and answer. That's obvious. Then we have a point that Tabori made in his Haggadah. I, I, I quote it here in, in this Haggadah. And the point that Tabori made was that in the Mishnah, among other things, it says, that if you, if you didn't say three things you have to mention three things at the Seder and one of the three things we have to mention then the Mishnah says I'm paraphrasing but the Haggadah when it cites the Mishnah changed the form of the Mishnah. What does the to say? Pesach Zoh Al This Pesach that we are eating, why? Zoh Al Shumah Moro So what does the gotta do? He changed it from a statement to a question to make it consonant with the other sets of questions. In fact, this is not for now. There's a deep link between the Manashtana at its core. The manishtana at its core, and this is actually very interesting, I think it's in this sagada as well, I'll talk about it, that the Manashtana and Rabin Gamaliel's statement are all of one piece. The original manishtana is clearly about three things, the three questions. You know what the three questions are? Pesach, Matzah, and Marah. Those are the original three questions of the Manashtana. Why do we eat Pesach? Why do we eat Baza? Why do we eat Mara? Over time, it changed. For a couple of different reasons. One reason was because there was no Pesach. The temple was destroyed, so we had no carbon Pesach. Number two, another thing that changed was, we have a very strange question in the Manishtana, Wait, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to go there let's, let's take us too far afield but the original Manishtana has three questions Pesach, Matzah, and Marah and here's what Tabori pointed out a very good thing Tabori pointed out that there are different manuscripts in conjunction with Rabbi Gamliel you have to say three things otherwise you didn't fulfill your mitzvah Pesach, Matzah, and Marah and then he says Pesach, Zoh, Ashumah And then in the manuscripts, there are differences. Some of the manuscripts have next, after Pesach, they have Maror, and then Matzah. And some of the manuscripts have, no, Pesach, and then Matzah, and then Maror. And what Tabori pointed out is that the manuscripts that have Pesach, Matzah, and Maror have the same order for the uh, Manishtana. The two things are connected, he says. The, The ones that have Pesach, Matzah, and Maror have the same order for Manishtana. From that he demonstrates, argues, that the Manishtana and the Pesach Matzah Umarar are actually deeply related to each other. But I, what I added in the Haggadah is that actually, not only do we have these three sets of questions in the Maggid, we actually have a fourth set of questions in the Maggid You need a sort of, to think of this, you need a sort of trim a cup, you know what I mean? Which I've been blessed with. So yet out of the box we call it. There's a fourth set of questions. Which is the way we end the market. Four questions. Here they are. that's question number one. that's question number two. Hearim is question number three. And give is question number four of course it's from Psalm 114 it's actually how we end then we have the answer so what I said in the Haggadah which I'm very pleased with myself about this is that what actually is the answer what is the meaning of Huli Aretz the, the answer to the questions why are you skipping? Why are you fleeing? The answer is, What is Chuli what is mean? So my, what I suggest is that the word Chuli actually has two different meanings, and they're both coming from the same place. They both come, as I said in the beginning, becoming... God's subjects, God being the king, becoming God's holy ones, is the prophetic ending to the Song of the Sea. That's how Shirat Hayam is ending. So in the Song of the Sea, just before that, when it talks about God splitting the sea, it talks about how the world responded to the splitting of the sea. And the world is responding with seven different words that relate to fear one of them is the word Chil Chil Achaz Yoshef the Philistines were gripped with Chil Chil means fear fear trembling fear there's different, seven different words for fear we could try to analyze what the difference between the seven is Chil Rogez Namogul Pachad Amos seven altogether seven words so there it means why are you skipping? Why are you, Jordan, why are you running away? Why are you jumping? And the answer is, we're jumping, the, the mountains and the, and the waters are jumping and running away, because God can turn the water, the rock into... into, into in, 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 God can turn the rock into water. So if you're a rock, you have reason to be scared, and frankly, even if you're water, it's the same God that could turn rock to water, presumably, could turn water back to a rock. And therefore the world is shaking and trembling. When Israel is moving, one might say, the world is moving. The world is moving also. The rivers are moving, the rocks are moving, the mountains are moving. It's a cosmic event. And it's chuli, it's out of fear. That's one meaning of chuli. But there's another meaning to chuli also. Khuli Adon chuli aretz. Chuli related to the word machol, also from the Song of the Sea. When Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's brother, went out, to lead everybody in prayer not just the women probably everybody in prayer so the women went out with tupim and mecholot either with dancing or musical instruments mecholot is probably dancing why are you moving around? why are you moving wildly about? we dance before the God we dance before the Lord dance wildly before the it reminds me of King David returning to Jerusalem we dance without abandon before God it picks up actually what a way to end Magid actually it picks up on this idea of you see, mitrayim, which is the great revelation and the revelation has two pieces to it one is a sense of profound joy in being released from bondage that's huli. that's the dancing and the joy but there's the other side of it. Having witnessed God's power and God's might and God's destructive power, it has the other side, which is It reminds me very much of the Torah's description, the verse, the Torah cites in conjunction with prayer. Tremble in joy. And that's how we end the first half of the magid. So B'Tseit Yisraeli Mitzrayim on one hand is, is connecting... It's moving everything back to that moment when we left. That's what the poet can do. Time doesn't matter to the poet. At the same time, it maintains the basic form. The idea is that the form of question and answer is maintained in the psalm, in B'Tseit Yisra'ami Mitzrayim, which explicitly, of course, mentions the Exodus. So therefore, coming back to my first point, we're able to declare to to recite a psalm of gratitude because the gratitude is, is follows naturally upon the, the, the redemption, obviously. But the particular closing, B'Tseg Swami Mitzrayim, is extremely interesting for reasons I just mentioned that it's deeply connected. Actually, if you read this Haggadah, I recommend it, I like it. It's a, <laughs> the, the villain of the Haggadah, the, who's the, the, the culprit here sitting to my the forced wants me to do this that's the truth of it let's but <laughs> many events the point of the essay on the es, the main point of the essay in this Hagada, which is my favorite thing in the entire Haggadah and um, we wrote it a little too quickly we should have taken a little more time that's one thing I regret we should have is that, that that's not actually the core point the core argument of the way we say hallow at the Seder is that actually the breaking the howl into two parts, two two psalms before the meal and four psalms after the meal, is a natural way to break it. It's not an artificial break because the last four psalms have a kind of have their own uh, own uh, integrity. That that's actually one of the more novel thoughts about in this Hagada. They have their own integrity and shows certain demonstrates certain structure, which is very secondary. But then it gets to the core idea of the last four Psalms. That we can't deal with uh, this morning. Unless we get there, I don't think we're going to get there. It's already running. And we get back to the idea of a Seder, though. So, this is the this is the Seder. By the way, I just want to make a small point about the order. I, we started this morning with a discussion of the 15 steps. Kadesh, Urchatz, Karpas, Yachatz, Magid, Rach, Tzavot, so I want to make two points about the, these steps. First of all, let me just, I was thinking about this yesterday. I was asked to speak at the Jewish Center, say a few words about the Seder or whatever. So I was walking there, and something struck me. What I'm saying now is probably not, probably may not be right, actually, but it's an interesting thought. I don't know. The question's a good question. There are 15 steps. We would call it maybe a table of contents is that I would refer to as a table of contents. Okay. Yeah. Let's call it a table of contents. If it was a table of contents in its entirety in all 15, I understand the first 14 that I understand. Kadesh, Rechatz, Karpas, Yachat, It's Give me the instructions. But what is the last one? What does mean? What is Nirza? Except. What does that mean, except Where's that in the table of contents? Where is Nerdsah in the table of contents? Now, here I think they translate concluding service. I think the JPS concluding songs, concluding songs. It means they don't know what Nerdsah means. That's what they don't I'm mean, enjoying the club. What is Nerdsah? So here's what I always thought, and yes, I had another thought. I spoke to my wife she said that I don't think it's right so I, you know, I take her word very seriously it may not be right but it's uh, here's for so the word nertzah let's start with the word nertzah the word nertzah when it appears in the Torah has always the same meaning Ratzon also appears in our, in our in our prayer service exactly the same way we have a blessing ritzay Hashem Elokeinu we ask God to accept and it's always to accept so typically in the Torah is to accept our uh, sacrifice in fact in the very beginning of the book of Vayikra that's how the book begins right? the person wants to give a voluntary offering to God right? the first sacrifice is the burnt offering you bring it to the tent of the gate what does the Torah say next? Lid so no with Nehashem. Lidso na so Right? Person brings it. No, no, is that no, no, wait, let me find exactly that that's, I think that's precise. Let me find exactly the verse. I think it's Vinirtsalow Khapira, let's find it. No, it's Vinirts right. <coughs> it's verse four. By Yikra, chapter one, verse four. The very beginning of the book if you want if you desire to bring a sacrifice you can bring it burnt offering you don't have to you're allowed to it will be accepted as an atonement the verse is extremely interesting let it never be said the book of Vayikra is a boring book don't think that it's very interesting that's a burnt offering you bring as a voluntary sacrifice what do you mean what kind of kapara Kapara, you you sinned, You need kapara. What kind of kapara does the burnt offering provide? That's a very important question. Anyway, benirta <coughs> means the sacrifice is accepted. It's true that the word would say in our liturgy appears prominently in one other context, and that is in conjunction with the with the Shabbat. With the Shabbat, we have the word would say all the time was the Sabbath prayer in the Brikatah Mazon. Right? On Shabbat we speak about God, we want God to be rotse. means to accept. That's what it means in Biblical Hebrew, to accept. Later, in the book of Esther it means to, to desire, but to wish. But in the early, in the Torah it means to accept and often to accept a sacrifice or to accept our Sabbath perhaps like a sacrifice that's what we sing in our Zmirot right? what do we sing in the Zmirot? right? Shabbat, we sing all the time I don't think we pay enough attention we ask God to accept our Sabbath like a sacrifice Kiminchal machvat so I always thought what it meant was that with Mirza, and maybe I don't I don't know if the uh, Sephardim had this. I'm not familiar, but but the Ashkenazim at the end of the Seder, the Seder in the Mishnah ends with ends with ends with Havel. know it. ends with Havel, That's the end of the, the Seder. Havil, it's over. But we. We say something after 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 Havdah. We say a little paragraph. Chasal sidur Pesach kehilchato, kechol mishpato bchukato. Kasha lechino, kasha lechino, lezadero toke niskel asotol. Zach shochem mihana, kameim kara dat mihana. The color of Nahel niteichana. Kudiimus It's all So then we use some other custom to sing songs, or whatever. What is Chasal Sidur Pesach? First of all, where is that from? Who knows? Anybody diving in the Shtibul here? No one diving in the Shtibul. This is a loss. This is all lost. Where is Chasal Sidur Pesach Kilchato from? If you dive in the Shtibul, I'm not sure you know it anyway because it's usually read at such a speed nobody can follow it. But Chasal Sidur Pesach Kilchato is the conclusion of the Yelts road for what day? Shabbos HaGadol is yesterday. Shabbos HaGadol, the end of a long section which describes the laws, the rules of Pesach. The laws. Dika's Chomets, B'yur Chomets. Through the Seder. Through the Seder. Ba'yei the works. At the end of it, Chasal Sidor Pesach, I have completed arranging. It means arranging, describing... Sidor Pesach it's written as a description of the entire rules concerning Passover holiday and especially the Paschal sacrifice it was transposed by somebody to the Haggadah it can't be transposed so early it's written by Yosef Tovelim he's about I think 11th century maybe 10th 10th, I think 11th century so it's not someone afterwards transposed it to our Haggadah and it doesn't refer to the rules of Passover it refers to the Seder Seder Pesach means something different Chasal Sidur Pesach Kato. So, because the point is we did the whole Seder but we're missing the main ingredient which is the Paschal Sacrifice the Seder let me explain this is actually an important point about a Seder the word Seder is often often found in conjunction with the sacrificial order as we say in our service right? The Seder HaVodali Rushalayim, right? The Torah of the Lech Lati, the Brachav would say, we ask God to restore Seder HaVodali Rushalayim. The word Seder is often used in conjunction with sacrifice and derivatively in conjunction with something else, which is prayer. Seder Hatzfilot, right? And what's the thing that we're praying from? The Sidur. The Sidur. So it's Misader for us. Seder is connected to the experiential commandments of sacrifice and especially of prayer. So I always thought that Nirzah is not part of the table of contents. Yeah. The table of contents ends with halel. But nirtza, we want God to accept, to accept this, and it used a, a, a sacrifice word. Because nirtza is always found in conjunction with sacrifice in the Torah. For lo with we say, God, accept our Offering this evening of the of the of the seder, of the ritual of the Haggadah, seder, even though we don't have a carbon Pesach, but we've done the, the most we can, and we hope next year. V'shala which means what? Rosh Hashanah means next year together with the carbon Pesach. That's what it means. That's all it means. The same thing is true at the end of Yom Kippur. It means exactly the same thing. We say Avodas Yom Kippur without without a pesach mikdash. So we are praying whether we want it or not. I'm not going to ask, but we're we're saying that we want. We want this idea. We're not getting into this now, but I think we actually do want it. That's another, another long conversation. What is? that's the idea. That's that's what I always thought. But if that be the case, and it may be true, then niritzah is not part of the table of contents. The Niritza is table of contents ends with hollow. So I was thinking, this is maybe a drush for the seder. This is a drush. You know, our, our requirements at the seder, we, 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 we sort of roll with the bar at the seder, you know, uh-huh. sort of Almost anything goes, you know. You never know who's there. You're never. You're also drinking four cups of wine. You don't. You know. Who knows what you're going to say? So the point is, so take it in the spirit of, of Pesach. But I always had the following thought about Neirza. The word nirtzah which means God should accept it, but it's found in the beginning of the Book of Ayikra in terms of this, this, the sacrifice, which is the carbon Olah, which is the voluntary sacrifice. I. I I go to the temple I want to bring a sacrifice an old uh, shabim, uh, whatever who asked me I want to do it so I, I approach God I walk into the temple I give it and the Torah says V'nitzelot. God will accept it so I was thinking where does the Seder actually end this is actually very interesting when you look at the Mishnah obviously it ends with the with the Halel now what I'm suggesting now may not be right but the, but the, that's not important the, but what I'm, the, the, the frame is very important and it's certainly right. And this is a very important point. The Mishnah has a machloket. Important argument. How many cups of wine do we drink at the Seder? So the Mishnah says, the first Mishnah, even a poor person, you shouldn't give that poor person less than enough money to purchase four cups of wine. So the first Mishnah talks about four cups of wine. The only thing is that Rabbi Tarfon, Tana, he disagrees. He thinks there are five cups of wine. And Let me explain about four cups of wine and five cups of wine. There's nothing magical about the number four or five. The number four does appear at the, at the Seder in many places. That may be a coincidence. But they're not fighting about the number four and five. It has nothing to do with that. Let me just explain briefly what is the idea of the cup of wine. Somebody, somebody's Rabbi Salovichik spoke about in several actually spoke about the Seder a lot. Said many, many interesting things about the Seder. The point here is this. The cup of wine at the Seder is not fundamentally a separate mitzvah. There is an idea of drinking four cups of wine, but the way it functions at the Seder, it functions in a totally different capacity. It, funct- it functions in a kind of hal- legal halachic capacity. And that is. That there's, well, normally you do a mitzvah, right? You're doing a mitzvah normally. You do it without holding a cup of wine. Say Shema in the morning. I don't think it's good, you know, but Give me that, give me my, pass, pass, the, pass the wine, pass the vodka, or whatever. So the point is, but well, there's some mitzvah that we do with a cup of wine. The wine is not the mitzvah. We perform the mitzvah over a cup of wine, of course. If you perform the mitzvah over a cup of wine, normally you also want to drink the cup of wine, in which case you can't eat anything in this world without making a blessing. As the Gemara says, it's not our world. So we have to first recognize that it's not ours, then we're allowed to take it. So let's take the most obvious mitzvah that's performed over a cup of wine, Kiddush. The mitzvah of Kiddush, they don't do wine. Mitzvah of Kiddush is to, 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 to declaim, to say, for example, on Shabbat, today is this holy Sabbath. Its remembrance of creation, its remembrance of the Exodus. It's a bracha. Baruch ato Hashem v'lokenu maolcholam. Hashem kisho mitzvotav v'rotzav. Again, the word rotzav. Rotzav anuk. Ruchat Hashem mikadeish haShabbat. But but we did it over a cup of wine. So we start with bari priyagafet. Bari priyagafet. Whatever. So at the seder, the first cup of wine at the seder is kiddush. What's the third cup of wine at the seder? Benching third cup of wine is after we eat the meal. We say ricotta mozon over a cup of wine. Now the truth is that prekat mozon over a cup of wine during the year is possible. Many have seen it, but it, it is voluntary. It's not required. You will often see it when there's, for example, in Shul or something. There's a million. So, so then often, they, when there's a lot of people together, they'll bench over a cup of wine. But you don't have to, but that's a nice custom. But on the night of Pesach, it's actually not a custom. It's, a, it's obligatory. We are actually saying Brikat HaMazon over a cup of wine. That's the third cup. Once again, the cup of wine, the bari Priyageven, is not a separate mitzvah. It's, it's in conjunction with the mitzvah of Brikat HaMazon, which means the meal. Brikat HaMazon actually completes the meal. So there's Matzah, there's Marah, there's suda, there's korech, whatever. So this whatever. whatever so that third cup of wine is the, so the first cup of wine is the mitzvah of Kiddush, and the third cup of wine is the mitzvah of the meal. What's the second cup of wine? The second is not halal. Halal is the fourth cup of wine. Is, you, you may not be wrong about halal, Alan, but I don't want to get into it. The simple reading is not hollow. The simple reading is Magid. Magid, at the end of Magid, which ends with halal. It ends with the Mitzvah Yisra'amim Mitzrayim, the beginning of halal. But afterwards, we're making a blessing. What is the blessing we say afterwards? Pick up a cup of wine. And what is the blessing at the end of Magid? It's a very beautiful blessing. We have, we have arrived at this place. We are, it's very special. We're so grateful to be at this, at this place. To eat matzah and marah. God bring us to other occasions like this. In, in Bring us back to the temple. temple is a symbol of full redemption. Baruch Ga'al Yisrael. What's next? Baruch Hashem Elokeinu Maracham Borei Priyagafen. Borei is not a separate blessing. You're making the blessing of Hashem Ga'al on a cup of wine. Special to the night of Passover. And there's a fourth cup of wine. The fourth cup of wine is said on the blessing Baruch Hashem which is the end of Haril so the Haril at the Seder is recited over the wine some people have the custom to hold the wine then actually but the bari priyagef, and again not in other words what is the four cups of wine they are the ordering principle of the Seder someone says tell me quick I got two what is the Seder about one answer would be there are many good answers one answer is the four mitzvot at the Seder is Kiddush there's the Teship you would see at Mitzrayim to tell the story. There's the meal Matzah marah. and there's howel That's the Seder, and on each of these four Mitzvot, we perform them over a cup of wine, and we make a Bore Pri Hagefil. That, in a very deep sense, is the Seder. Now I want to say two things about the Seder. I'll get to the main point I want to make in a second, which is the small point which is important, and that is the Seder itself is very interesting because if you think about the four cups of wine. They're relating to two totally different things. The first cup and the third cup, namely Kiddush, and the meal. What is Kiddush? Kiddush is the way you start your meal. Kiddush is the meal. When you go to a fancy meal, you don't just sit down and eat. You have drinks first, usually, or something like that, or Shmogazot, or whatever. At the Jewish receptions, usually, by the time they finish the Shmogos over, you don't want to eat the meal, but that's another story. But in any event, but that's the way it is. But the, but the drinks, the drinks, what Mary Douglas writes about it's not just a biological act it's a social the meals are social if you want to understand the culture you understand the great meal with Judaism it's very simple there's one great meal which is the Seder that's the great meal so my point is the first and the third cups are the meal this is what you eat the second and the fourth cups are what you say you say the story and you, you say, say thank you what's curious is though the, the way we the way we order them is very curious we don't say first let's eat and then we'll talk or first we'll talk and then we'll eat we actually interweave them we start with a meal, we stop now we're going to tell the story now we're going to start talking now let's say halal then we stop, we don't finish halal now we're going to eat the meal is part of the halal actually it's interwoven that's the Seder now let me get back to the point that I want to make about nir tzav. which as I said before may not be true but here's the point Rabbi Tarfan says there are five cups why does Rabbi Taufan say there are five cups? He doesn't like the number four. It's a nice number. It's a square number. What's wrong with it? He likes prime numbers. What are they fighting about here? But of course, Rabbi Taufan says saying something different. He's saying there are two kinds of halal. When he says there are five cups of wine, it doesn't mean just make another bracha. What he's saying is that when you say halal, there are two different hallel that must be recited at the Seder. In point of fact, this is one of the quagmires, halachic quagmires, at the seder is how to figure out the blessings after the meal for Harel. Because what do we say after the meal? We finish Harel. the last four paragraphs of Harel, It's called haril habitsri. It's known as that's the how we call Harel. But then we're saying two other harils at at the uh, afterwards. We say haril hagadol, Psalm 136, Hodu Kitov, Olam and after that we are concluding with a, a very long blessing known in the Mishnah as Birkat Hashir. It's one of the most glorious things we have in that tradition. Nishmat Kolchai. It's my favorite prayer actually. One of them for sure. Nishmat Kolchai Tivarechet Shimcha Hashem Okeinu. She answered with Kalbach has a Nusach n- n- for him, Very beautiful. Very simple. very powerful. Nishmat Kolchai Tivarechet Shimcha, which actually ends with, we on the Ishtabach Nishmat beginning of a blessing. Nishmat Kochai is the blessing which we call Yishtabach. So the point is, Nishmat Kochai is the end of the blessing, what's called Psuke de zimra. So it's very strange. HaGadol is part of Psuke de zimra we say on the festivals. It's one of the big highlights of the festival Psuke de zimra. A fuller explanation of this is very interesting. But basically, there are two things we are saying. There are two different halos we say after the seder. We say halo hamitzri and halo hagadol. Rabbi Tarfon said each one demands its own blessing, and therefore you end up with five different blessings. What blessing he made, I don't know. He probably said noch twice. One was the blessing at the end of halo and one is yishtabach or Nishmat Kochai. So because he had two different halos, he had. Psukei Dezimra, which is basically Hallel. Hallel Haggadol. The miracle is Dezimra Hallel. And he had what we call Hallel. Rabbi Tarakon says they're not four cups of wine. Because there are two Hallels. Each one deserves its own blessing. And with the, with the blessing on Hallel, and the blessing on Psukei Dezimra, you have a cup of wine. That's how he ends up with five cups of wine. What have the Jewish people chosen to do? It's very interesting. We know that We know about four cups of wine is an interesting fact many of you may not know that during the Gaonic period the overwhelming practice was to have five cups of wine. It's a minimum; You don't have to have five cups of wine. The rule is four cups of wine are required but the overwhelming practice at that time was to have five cups of wine and not only that even when the practice becomes limited to very few people it still endured in certain communities in some Hasidic communities it endured and I believe and it wouldn't surprise me in the least, that it endured, and maybe still does, even today, in some of the religious Zionist world. And it actually endured in a different way for everybody. You know how? It endures also, for well, Of course. The cup that we put on the table, which we call Kosher Elio. Now Kosher Elio, that name, I believe, is first attested in the 15th century. I don't think it's prior to the 15th century that they called it Elijah's cup. But that they put it on the table... That is an earlier custom, and the reason for it is very simple. The fifth cup, we identify with some ultimate redemption, with some future redemption. Those who saw, for example, the state of Israel in Messianic terms were prone to having a fifth cup. But even if you don't do that, it's something that we all aspire to. Because the point, one of the points of the Seder is that we see the Passover experience as a harbinger, as foreshadowing the future. The idea is if there was a redemption one time there could be a redemption again. So that's the fifth cup of wine. So I was thinking to myself I don't know if this is true that nirza actually refers to the, the harel nirza Halel means we say halel and then those who choose to do so can have a fifth cup of wine. In addition to the one halel they can say a second halel. And with the second halel is in fact acceptable so perhaps it refers to the splitting of halal into two parts you split halal into two parts if you desire to do so it's acceptable to split split halal into two parts and to make a blessing on each of the two parts I don't know if this is true or not but I will tell you something that's very interesting not from the Seder but from 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 the Shabbat prayer service and that is on Shabbat and the festivals we are reciting extra, extra psalms in the Psuke de Zimra. Extra psalms in the Psukei de Zimra. There are two different customs. Let me just say one thing. Let's leave that for a second. The prayer book is actually a gold mine. If you want to understand the prayer book, the Mahser. You go to Shul, you want to dab you don't want to dab, it's like, but it, instead of talking what we should do is just look at the Siddur the Siddur is is reflecting so many traditions it's so much it's so interesting in terms of it's one of the core texts that we really have apart from being a vehicle for prayer it's also it's actually very interesting what is it actually saying now as far as Psyuket Zimra on Shabbat is concerned there are two different customs the Svanthim and the Ashkenazim the Ashkenazim have the regular form of, of, of Psyuket de Zimra say Baruch Sheh Amar ends with the Yishtabach but on the Shabbat we Ashkenazim those who pray that uh, service they are adding additional Psalms starting with Psalm 19 Ramatzeach Mizmova David Hashemayim Mesaprim Kronel and they are ending with Hodu Hashem Kitov Ranut Zadikim. but essentially it is put all into the same frame but these Fardim the Hasidim don't do that they say they have a different order. The Sephardim, they begin with Hodu, and they add all of the extra psalms before before Barak Sha'amar. And in fact, at the end of Hodu, Hodu, Psalm 136, the great Hallel, they respond to it, not with a... Interesting, they respond to it, not with something from the psalms. The response to Hodu, because Hodu, in a way, is a command. Hashem I'm saying to you, the Chazan is saying, you should thank God. So with the, for the for the Ashkenazim, the Psalm they say afterwards, which is out of chronological order, is baShem. <laughs> That's what the Ashkenazim say. <coughs> what do the Sfaradim say? And he's David Sfarad You know, you don't know where you don't get the shoe on time. What's the question? Yeah, right. Kalbach they say. Kabach, they say it. The Ashkenazim say this poem, this poem, one time a year. The response, the, the, the Chazim say it every Shabbos. The Ashkenazim say it once a year. No one knows what it is. Shachris Yom Kippur, we say it. The Ashkenazim. There are very many good nigunim for it. Very powerful nigunim. That's the answer to Hodul Hashem Kitov. I noticed, I once walked to one of the shtibos on the west side, and after Adaris Vermuna, they actually say Kaddish. And that struck me as extremely interesting. Believe me, if you ask them why they say Kaddish, they'll probably say, because my grandfather said Kaddish. They have no idea why they say it. But the truth of the matter is, I'm sure this is right with no evidence, but I'm sure it's right. That actually, if you think about it, what it does, what Kaddish does is split, is split the surface Kaddish is the endpoint and it turns out that on Shabbat there are two different psuche de zimra that they're saying one is the normal psuche de zimra and the other is something different in fact I believe that these Svarim called Simirot. I believe they have different names for it in other words the idea that you have two Hallels as it were or two different kinds of Thanksgiving services is not a crazy idea it's actually for the Svarim it's done every single festival every Shabbat in the morning where they say Zemirod first. After Zemirot they say, Baruch Shamar followed by Miz Moshe, Yom HaShabbat. So actually, it's very interesting. So I was thinking that perhaps that the Nirtzah, I don't know if this is true or not, but the idea of it is certainly the f- fourth and fifth cup that is true. That the fifth cup of wine, this idea that the fifth cup of wine is an option, which is acceptable, and that the fifth cup points towards some... So future redemption and that's why we have the yahu. that I think is true let me see I have, there's so much more to say i something else though we have only a few minutes here I'll mention something else it's actually in this Haggadah the Haggadah the consists of a set of drashot the Mishnah says you are to read the text of the Wandering Aramean, the Doresh Kol Parashakula Kula. And you are to engage in Midrash on the whole parasha. What's curious, of course, the very selection of the text of the wandering Aramean itself is odd. The first two essays of this Haggadah are dedicated to that problem. Why would you choose a text from the Book of Deuteronomy on the night where you celebrate the Exodus? We got a book called the Book of Exodus. But that's not the least of the problems. What's even stranger is the following. The Haggadah, this anonymous author of the Haggadah, nobody has a clue by the way. The Haggadah has helped us along. The the Mishnah says, The Mishnah says that at the night of the Seder, you read this text and you should engage in Midrash. But maybe that Baal Haggadah realized that not everybody can do that, you know? And we need some more direction. So what the Haggadah does is it provides us with its own Midrash which I don't think it ever intended to be exhaustive it didn't think you just read it but the Midrash is there to help you out to set you in certain directions and what is very odd here is this there are I think either 17 or 18 we have four verses <coughs> we divide the verses into pieces on each of the pieces is a Midrashic statement let's see for example let's, just, let's look at it for one second Right in the beginning of this book here. Uh, on page starts on page <coughs> bottom of seventeen, say Ramad And then Aramayobeda V at the bottom of page seventeen, the top of page eight top of eighteen. By Mitzrayim Mitzraima close to the verse. Page nineteen it starts to break it into pieces. By Mitzrayim explains. By Yogosham explains. Dimit Ba'at explains. By Hisham Lugai explains Lugai Gadol explains Atzul Barav explains Then next verse It breaks the verses into pieces So you're ending up with like 18 different Of the four verses It breaks it into something like 18 or 17 18, 19 pieces, I don't remember Something like that This was very peculiar On almost all of the ver- On almost all of these Let's call 18 On almost all of the 18 When it tries to so-called explain what it means it quotes a verse to explain it of the verses that it quotes about half of them come from the book of exodus from the first two chapters of the book of exodus half of them of the remaining let's say eight or nine i believe seven come from other sources but you have a very strange thing it's the night of the exodus you're reading verses from deuteronomy oh i know what that means it says so in the first two chapters of the book of Exodus. I mean, who would think of such a thing? Why not just read the book of Exodus? What are you going on? So that itself is very problematic. It's very strange. I want to make one simple point. The last of the four verses. Vayotzienu Hashem mimitzrayim. gadol, Uvamovtim. It takes it. The Haggadah breaks those into pieces. Yotene Hashemim Mitzrayim. Right. Yarechazaka, Moragadol. Right. Otot and Moftim. The last drasha at the Seder in this central passage of the Seder is the word Moftim. Wonders with wonders. So the Haggadah comments, Uvamovtim. What does Moftim mean? So let's find this. Uvamovtim is on page. 30, 33, the top of page 33, Uvu moftim. What's the What's wonder? This refers to blood. First to blood. Kamosha Namar, As it is written, and we cite a verse, Venatati moftim Bashamayim Uvaares. Dom Vaish Petim Rot Ashan. It's a verse that is cited from the book of Joel. Joel. The book of Joel. Not a book I think we read too often. That's the last, actually the last, it's the last Russia. I had the following thought about this verse first of all it's a strange verse because dam is the first of the ten plagues but the plagues are referenced earlier the Yad of and the that God is interpreting to refer to the first five plagues and the next five plagues the simple meaning of it why would you, at the very, very end of the plagues, at the very end of the drashot, go back to the first plague? are done. So I believe it actually, and with wonders, this is blood, does not refer to the plague of blood at all. It doesn't refer to that. It's referring to something different. We have here midrash. This is a very fundamental question about how, to, how does midrash function. My own personal approach Actually, my wife, Devorah, wrote an article about this a, quite a while ago which was an attack on what she calls a kind of atom, atom, atomistic approach to the Midrash. That is to say, Midrash is quoting a verse because they have in mind this one word or this one uh, phrase as opposed to saying what the Midrash is often trying to do is to get us to look at, us, a set, to look at another text and to read text B in light of text A, in write A in light of text B. It may it may quote a word, or two words, or a phrase, but actually wants you to look up the whole thing. So in this particular case, if we look up the whole thing, we go to this book of Yoel, book of Yoel, let's find that, we just conclude with this. Yoel is one of the, of the treasar, one of the twelve so-called minor prophets. Where is Yoel? Let's see. On page 1,000, I have it here. 1,300, 300 300 and, yes, 305. Very strange, the little chapter, chapter 3 of Joel, is for whatever reason, don't ask me why, a total of five verses long. Who knows? I can't explain it. It talks about the book of Joel is concerned in general with uh, plagues. There'll be, there'll be a great plague. A great plague. It talks about the plague. And then it talks about God remembering Israel and, 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 and sustaining Israel. On page 1305. <speaking in Hebrew> Gamo agodin ve arshpokot bayemim haima espoket lochi. Ve ratati moftim ba shamayim uvaretz. Dang vor es bizim lota shan. Ha shemesh yafek lo choshech. Ha yomerch bedam. Ve lebo yoma shem agodov va hanova. Vaya kovashe yekroa be shema Ki be hatziyori roshovayim tegapqeta. Kasher mara shem uva svidim ashevachem After that, says the prophet, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Old men shall dream dreams, and the young will see visions. I will pour my spirit even upon male and female slaves in those days, before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. I will set portents in the sky and on earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall turn into darkness, the moon into blood. But everyone who invokes the name of the Lord shall escape. There will be a remnant on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, as the Lord promises. Anyone who invokes the Lord will be among the survivors. This is the last. This is, these are the verses. This is what the Baal Haggata wants us to read at the end of the shot What is the point? The point is very simple. It's a verse from the Prophet. And it's about a vision of the end of days. The end of days suddenly reminds us very much of what the Rambam writes at the end of his Mishnah Torah. The earth will be filled with God's knowledge. There will be a, a powerful revelation and a, a dangerous revelation. very dangerous revelation. And God's spirit will be revealed to the world, to the young and old. The old will still dream but it's also very dangerous, because God's presence is very dangerous. But those who escape to Jerusalem, those who go find themselves in the sacred spaces, they will survive, and they will encounter God. And what this drusha reminds us of is a very simple point. The seder, seder, the order, is actually at its core the things we do surrounding the Paschal Sacrifice. The last drashia reminds us of the Paschal Sacrifice, Vermossim Adam does not refer to the plague of blood. Vermossim Ze refers to something very different. It's the blood you put on the doorpost because the blood you put on the doorpost is what allowed you actually to experience God. It, 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 it set that space apart as a sacred space. It allowed the revelation to appear and very beautifully, upon the old people and upon the children this is what the house is all about the house was there to save the it, but also especially to save the children it's a holiday which wakes the generations actually but only those who find themselves in these spaces can be redeemed it means that the significance of Passover that's what we conclude is not just what happened in the past but as I said before if, we, if, we, if you believe that redemption can happen once it can happen again So the Passover becomes the great paradigm for experiencing the presence of God. And the verse in Yomel reminds us that the same way we were able to experience God's presence in Egypt, amidst all the destruction, because the houses that didn't have the blood on the doorpost and the lintel didn't have the sacrifice, which is what it is, cannot be spared. But those who find themselves in, 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 in holy spaces, in sacred spaces, who mark their spaces with the blood of the sacrifice, they not only are spared, but they're given the opportunity to experience God, no matter who they are, men, women, young, and old. Even the slaves were able to experience God. It reminds us very much of what the Medra says about the sea. The slave woman at the sea more than Yecheskel ben Buzi in his great vision.